Welcome to the podcast Kenya. We are your hosts, Andy Davies, Clear Earnshaw and Leon Weche. We are here to discuss all things training, nutrition, health and mindset. We aim to share knowledge through our own experiences and by interviewing local and international experts in their field. Our goal is to provide education and empowerment. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to episode seven of the podcast. And today we are joined again by a specialist pelvic floor physiotherapist, Sarah Peacock. She was on our first season back in 2020. I can't believe how time has flown since then. But Sarah, thanks so much for coming back on today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I was I was trying to remember when you were on. And I was like, yeah, it was in the height of COVID and... Yeah, me too. I had to look through my emails and I thought maybe it was last year. And then it said 2020. I said, wow. Wow. Okay. It's gone so fast. And it was such a great episode. We were talking all about, yeah, I guess the basics of sort of pelvic floor health and what to expect in an examination. And I think we had a lot of sort of postnatal chat in there as well. Um, yeah. So today we're going to be talking more about incontinence and the different types of prolapse and, you know, how you can still train with these, as I think that's another subject that people just, well, you know, women and male trainers, female trainers just, you know, don't know what to do or they're too scared to talk about it. And it is, it's really important. Yeah, I think that's, it's often a problem because people are diagnosed with some kind of pelvic floor issue and finding them sort of the information on how to manage it and how you can continue with your life is often something people struggle with because if you, you know, if you're diagnosed with a prolapse or something, you need somebody who understands it. Yeah. And I think often people are scared and sometimes, I mean, I've had patients who were told by doctors, you have a prolapse, so just please don't lift anything heavy. And I mean, these are people who want to be in the gym or yeah. their moms or, you know, you can't just say to someone, this is you and this is you for the rest of your life. Um, so I think especially as a public floor physio, we see, okay, this is your issue and this is where we want to get you back to being. Like you should be able to get back to doing the things you want to do and how can we manage that safely? Um, which I think often, especially after people have had children, we collectively, globally set the bar for recovery so low. It's, you know, if someone can look after the child and walk down the road, well, that, that should be enough, you know. Oh, you can't do this anymore. Well, it's because you've had children, but that shouldn't be a reason or an end point. It should be okay. If you want to be someone who wants to run a marathon or, you know, weightlifting, how do we get you there safely? Yeah. Um, because it shouldn't be that, you know, this is, this is you for the rest of your life and just deal with it. Yeah, true. Exactly. Exactly. And then I think just so many women are scared of, or they don't even know what's going on, but you know, if they have, you know, incontinence or something like that. They're just embarrassed to talk about it. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just sad that it's stopping them from doing all the things that they enjoy doing. So yeah. Yeah, because often it's a case of, okay, if maybe if they have uh, symptoms when they're running or when they're jumping, they just stop doing that. And mm -hmm. they think, okay, no, I won't do that anymore. I'll find something else to do. But if there's someone who enjoys running or but I meet so many women who say, you know, I can't jump on the trampoline or I can't run after my kids, but that's fine. I just won't do it anymore. And I, it's really sad because you shouldn't be limited by what's going on. And there's always a way to, you know, it might take a long time. It might take a lot of work, but there's usually always a way to get back to doing what you love doing. And we shouldn't, yeah, we shouldn't be limiting women on, okay, you have this, this is you for the rest of the rest of time. And also a good thing to, especially for women, is if you have a pelvic floor issue, say in your 30s, in your 40s, as you then go through menopause, you you know you lose your muscle mass, including in your pelvic floor. So actually, if you don't do things to work on it now, it's very much likely to get worse when you then go through menopause and then for the rest of your life. So it's actually the perfect time to start working on it now to then put you in the best place to then continue through life. Yeah, I think that's such a great point because we're often, we don't even, I think so many women are like, oh, menopause, that's, you know, far, far away or, you know, 
we're not thinking about that but it's like you you should and it's nothing to be ashamed of you know we, we're all gonna go through it it's a, a life phase so and like you say great to work on that now so I think let's just rewind a little bit in case people didn't listen to that first podcast which I highly recommend you do so can you just take us through like what is you know the pelvic floor yeah, so the pelvic floor is it's a group of muscles that suggest they are in your pelvis. Um, and they are they have a number of different functions. So the first the most kind of superficial layer of your pelvic floor, which is the one closest sort of closest to the skin, um, they are sphincter muscles. And what that means they're kind of a circular muscle. They are either open or closed, they're under your voluntary control. So they are ones that are um, they important for your continence. So they wrap around, one, they wrap around the neck of the bladder and then also around the rectum. So they keep your wee and your poo in when you move it in and let it out when it needs to come out. Um, and then your deeper layers of your pelvic floor, they, a good way to think about it is think about it like almost like a hammock. Um, and they go from the front of your pelvis to your tailbone. And then between your sit bones, so the bony bits in your bum that you can feel when you sit down. Yeah. So they form almost like a hammock and they support your pelvic organs. So they support your bladder, your uterus and your rectum. Um, so that's the support is support for your pelvic organs. You have your uh, sphincter muscles, which are important for your continence. Um, the pelvic floor is also really important for your stability, so your core stability. Um, and that's something I find that people often don't know. When people think about the word core, they often just think about your abs, and that's it. Um, which your abs don't work alone. If they work alone, you know, they're just on the front of your body. But actually, when you do any exercise or any kind of movement, your core is your whole, your whole torso. Yeah. Um, so your abs just really, they make up the front of that. Your diaphragm is the top, your pelvic floor is the bottom, and then your back muscles are the back. And all of those four components have to work together to keep your core stability and also to manage pressure. Um, and that managing pressure is one of the most important things um, when you have any kind of if a pelvic floor dysfunction or managing pressure is always, especially when we talk about prolapse, that is the key thing to then enabling people to, it, to do things that apply more pressure. So for instance, mm -hmm. lifting weights or you know, sneezing, coughing, all of that stuff is pressure management. And if you can learn how to manage it properly, then you can increase, you know, increase your load and increase your resistance. Um, so your pelvic floor never works in isolation, which I think is a really important thing because I often, when people come for physio, pelvic floor physio, they think it's all just pelvic floor and that's it. But your pelvic floor is also, if you think about where it is, you know, it's part of your core, your hip muscles are around your pelvis, so a lot of it is, it never works in isolation. You have to build it into the whole whole system. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, like you say, people, when they think of core, they just think of their six pack when <clears throat> there's so much more to it. And yeah, the pelvic floor, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, there's so many, I don't know half the names of all those muscles down there, but they're, <laughs> it's impressive. <laughs> yeah, and people just, I have so many people who don't know what it is, where it is. I even, I had a lady come in the other day, she was, I think, 80? Yeah. And I told her what her pelvic floor was and where it was. Like, we just don't, we don't learn about it and we don't think about it um, yeah. until something goes wrong, yeah. which is often why people don't know, and I was when people don't know what is normal. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, mm -hmm. Especially, and it's especially postnatally, this is where I always find that it's become kind of commonplace and it's been sort of passed down, oh, you know, mom can't do this, mom, you know, pees when she laughs or pees when she sneezes, but it's because she's had kids. Mm -hmm. And that kind of narrative has been passed down that now people just think, oh, that's, that's normal. Yeah. 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 And they don't make a do about it. So people live with it for a long time. And like you said, people are often embarrassed to talk about it. They don't know where to go for help. Um, and depending on who their doctor is or who their information comes from, I'm often hear that you know if they have any any kind of pelvic floor dysfunction they're just told go and do kegels <laughs> and <sighs> and they just tell them just go and do kegels or go and watch a video on how to do kegels and it would be like you know someone coming to physio for 
knee pain, anyone who came for knee pain, and you didn't even assess them, and I would just say, go and do squats, yeah. and then don't watch them. <laughs> do them, and never progress them. Because yeah. one exercise has become like the holy grail, and that's the only piece of advice that people get forever. Yeah. Which, you know, to build your muscle strength, you can't just do an isolated contraction forever. <laughs> it's not, you know, and I don't know why, when you're, when, you know, when you're strengthening other muscles, you think you're adding resistance, you're adding reps, you know, you're progressively overloading it. With pelvic floor, that seems that, you know, that logic seems to go out the window. That's, that's, that's so true, isn't it? Like, I think people do that, you know, when it comes to other muscle groups as well, that just all common sense goes out the window. But I think, you know, it's like any muscle group, you have to apply a progressive overload. But even like, I don't think in any of our basic training, was there anything on pelvic floor? No. Maybe a tiny bit, but it's not until like, you know, you go into doing a pre and postnatal course or something that you actually learn about it. And that's, that seems crazy that, you know, that that's not there. No, even in my whole physiotherapy course, we did one two hour lecture on women's health. Mm. Yeah. That, okay, well, that, that's mind blowing. That's yeah, insane. Like, that's it. It was just, this is what exists. And you know, women might have these issues. Okay, that's enough. Yeah, because if you think about it, it's, it's just, what is it, last month when the, like the anatomy chart now provides, you know, male and female, uh, like now there's two different anatomy charts you can use. Uh, before it was just, oh, this is anatomy and then it's like a male figure and there's nowhere that, you know, it's called the pelvic floor. It's just muscle this, muscle that. This is what's responsible for childbearing. End of story. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah so. Yeah, it's and it's crazy. It's so, it's because so many women have these issues. And there's so many things that you can do, you know, preemptively, actually, if you, like you do with the rest of your health, if you take care of your public health, then you can take care of it through your life. But it's not until something goes wrong. And people just aren't aware of it, which, like you said, you know, for training, for physios, whoever it is, there's not enough importance put on it. Because, I mean, as physios, we had to, you have to do musculoskeletal physio, you have to do neurophysio, you have to do respiratory, and they're your core things you have to train in. But health was just, if you happen to get a placement there, great. If not, hmm. That's really mind-blowing, my goodness, my goodness. So, I mean... Should we start with incontinence and sort of what it is? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, incontinence incontinence is sort of the inability to control either your urine, feces, or even gas. Mm -hmm. Um, Because your pelvic floor muscles, like I said, they're your sphincter muscles, so you can control when, you know, you go to the toilet. Um, And for some people, they... It's sometimes an issue of weakness that they don't have, you know, they don't have the strength of those muscles to maintain their continence. When they do things, often it's like if they're sneezing or coughing or laughing. Because when you sneeze or you cough or you laugh, you increase the pressure in your abdomen. And like I said, with that pressure management system, if you have a weakness in one area and say that's your pelvic floor, Mm -hmm. then that pressure causes incontinence. that's called stress incontinence when you don't have, you know, when you can't manage that pressure and then you might leak some urine or leak feces. Um, and I mean, sometimes that weakness is if people have a perineal tear during childbirth, so a tear of the muscles, they get a weakness of the muscles. For some people, it is sort of a, a lack of control, a lack of coordination with the muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we talked about, because they're muscles that we don't think about we don't really have that connection with then often and especially after pregnancy or after childbirth or later in life when you're going through menopause and you have weaker muscles if you haven't really connected to them and you don't know how to use them properly then you can have that lack of control um and then there's another type of incontinence called urgent continence and that is when you Say, you know, you, when you need to go for a week and you really need to go, and then often people's gut reaction is they then try and rush to the toilet. And when you're rushing, then often you lose control. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, 
that is more of a, it's very much a sort of mental connection with your bladder. Um, and a good, a good way is imagine when you're, so you're coming home from the shops, you're driving home, you need to pee, and then you get to the gate. And when you get to the gate, that urge to pee is like you have to go immediately or you're going to go in the car. Yeah. But there's no, if you think about it physically, it's not that, you know, the amount of urine in your bladder has changed between when you left the shop, when you were driving down the road, and now. It's just that now your brain goes into that kind of panic, red alert, I've got to go now, I've got to go now, and you get that anxiety and the mm -hmm. panic. Um, and then often then you can, you know, because you're in such a, such a kind of fight or flight state, you can lose control of your muscles. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that type of incontinence, the treatment for that is more, you have to suppress that urge and, you know, go from fight and flight response back to, rest and digest, calm, and actually take ownership over it and kind of, you know, control that response that comes with it. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, and this is what I was saying about Kegels, is if you don't differentiate which, which sort of type of incontinence is going on, you can't just, they're very different treatment strategies. So this kind of blanket approach to it, is just, it's useless, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's some, there's a sort of a section of people who... If you have a neurological illness, say MS or something like that, then you can have neurological incontinence where you mm -hmm. don't have that don't have that control. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a really it's a it's a complex thing to try and figure out where it's coming from. Yeah. Sometimes it's a bit of both, yeah. um, and sometimes it's about also understanding, you know, people's diet, what people what they're drinking, are they? And for a lot of people who have incontinence, of course it becomes so really anxiety-ridden, it completely changes your quality of life. Mm -hmm. Because if you have any kind of incontinence, often they don't want to leave the house. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because they're so scared about what can happen when they leave. Yeah. Um, and then people get into a habit of often going just in case. And this is something we see all the time. You know, if they're going to leave the house, they'll go for a wee even when they don't need to. If they're, they'll go just before they go to bed, or they'll go all the time when they don't need to. And that, that then creates its own problems because the messages between your bladder, you know, your bladder fills and it has receptors in the wall of the bladder, which then send a message to your brain yeah. saying, hey, we're getting a bit full, you know, we need to go soon. So then if it feels a bit more, the message is sent and say, you know, we really need to go now. If you then say your bladder is only 25% full and then you empty your bladder, the receptors in the wall are like, why are you going now? We didn't tell you we need to go. And if you do that repeatedly, it then messes up with that, you know, that feedback loop from your bladder to your brain. Then you can run into problems that your bladder tells you you need to go, but you don't need to go. And it just messes with that feedback loop. But I think it's, it's also something that we often do as children. You know, when people have children, they say, okay, just go for me now. And, we go. and it, we just continue it our entire lives. I think it's the same thing when you said that. I was thinking... Mad time you say to a kid, like I say to my daughter, before you go on the trip anywhere, do you need to go to the toilet? And even if they say, not really, go, just go anyway, just in case. <laughs> so true. Yeah, which as long as they don't continue it forever, then at some point you have to, they have to yeah. stop doing it. Wow. Um, because yeah, if you do it, and I mean once in a while, fine. Um, but if you're doing it all the time, it gets into that habit. And then also, if you don't go, maybe you don't need to go, but then your brain will think, ah, we need to go, we're going to leave the house. And that whole thing, come, it just means that people, yeah, mess, completely messes up their bladder and then they run into more kind of bladder problems later. Um, and I, I mean, another thing is people often then, if they have incontinence, they then just, they don't drink as much water mm -hmm. because they think, oh, I don't drink yeah. as much water, maybe I won't need to go so often. Then they get dehydrated, they're more likely to get UGIs. And it's a whole host of other issues. So it's something that, you know, you have to pick apart and get to the bottom of and treat it so that you can you can greatly improve someone's quality of life. Um, and yeah, like I, said, I think incontinence, especially urinary incontinence, is something that's become so normalized for women after they've had children that people are just like, yeah, yeah, you know, it just happens. Yeah.
It's, it's, well, even before, even before, like, I know, like, with a lot of clients, you know, like you said earlier, like, with skipping, they're like, oh, no, 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 can't, you know, can't do skipping, or I used to have a trampoline, and, you know, quite a few, it's sort of, you know, I'd say in their late 20s would be like, oh, no, I, I can't, you know, I can't go on that, or, like, I need to go to the loo before I go on, on the trampoline, and it's, uh, yeah, like you say, it's just like, that's just what it is. Um, yeah. But I but find that... Often- with, with people uh, like that who then stop doing that sort of thing, often if you have had any episode of incontinence while you've been, say, on the trampoline or skipping, then people tend to think that you have to squeeze your pelvic floor and contract it the whole time where you're jumping, which is absolutely not the case because your, I mean, your pelvic floor in itself is like a trampoline. It mm-hmm. has to, it's supporting your organs. It has to have that flexibility. Yeah. And yeah. it's... A good way to think about it is if you think about like a spring, if your spring is, you know, it's in its normal state, it can shock absorb, it can move. Yeah. If you have a really tightly coiled spring, it has no capacity for yeah. shock absorption. So if you're constantly, if you're really clenching your pelvic floor while you're jumping, it actually can't absorb the impact of when you're jumping and that can lead to incontinence. So it can be a case that people aren't relaxing their pelvic floor when they're jumping. Interesting. Yeah, I find that really interesting because it would be your natural instinct, wouldn't it, to be just like completely tense up, probably like your whole body as well. And then, yeah, like you said, that's just going to make it make it worse. That's really yeah. interesting. So actually, for a lot of people, it's t- it's teaching them to relax their pelvic floor when they're doing any kind of impact exercise and starting with low impact, you know, working up slower paced jumping working up yeah. and then being able to relax and actually just let the pelvic floor do its thing yeah, yeah. naturally automatically you know tense when it needs to tense and it needs to be able to move and if you're constantly holding it it just can't do what it what it naturally needs to do yeah i mean I've, i don't know if you'd call this incontinence but sort of people who have maybe an overactive pelvic floor who just find it very difficult to relax it and can't go you know to do a wee is that something yeah, yeah. So you, if, when you think about your, when you go for a movie, your pelvic floor has to fully relax to open the urethra and allow your bladder to fully mm-hmm. empty. If you're not able to fully relax your pelvic floor, then often you don't fully empty your bladder. Mm-hmm. And these people often they'll go for a wee, they'll get up, they'll go, and then ten minutes later they, feel, you know, they need to go again mm-hmm. or have a little bit of incontinence afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I see that a lot is that people. And again, because all we're, you know, all we're taught is do Kegels, do these contractions, a lot of people don't know how to relax the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. And if you can't relax your pelvic floor, again, you have, you have problems. So it's, yeah, it's a, really, it's a really common problem that people don't know how to relax. And I think also because we all live this very, you know, life where we have to do everything and everyone's stressed and no one actually takes time to relax their entire body, let alone their pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And if people don't have that connection with their pelvic floor, they can't feel when it's relaxed. True. Yeah. The same with clench their jaw and mm. you know hunch their shoulders. And actually, when you clench your jaw, your pelvic floor also tenses mm. because they're yeah. connected. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And I guess with women as well, we're always like trying to suck in our tummies the whole time, and yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a lot of. I mean, that's you know you can just. Like you say, it's it's hard to to relax. Yeah, and the the sucking in the tummy is you you breathe in a very dysfunctional way because mm. when you breathe in, actually your tummy should be relaxed and yeah. should gently expand. But I think often we are told, you know, suck in your belly, breathe in, make yourself look skinny, and it's the complete opposite to what you should be doing. And if people have been doing that for a long time, it takes a lot to try and retrain their breathing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, breathing is just so important. Um, I mean, because it's, it's, that's, it naturally moves with your pelvic floor as well, like the way you breathe. Um, yeah. And again, like so many people are, well, don't even think about their breathing. Um, I mean, we do in training, because, and I mean, we can get into that, but, <laughs> but most of the time, I mean, I find I've become a really shallow breather and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to just, <sighs> yeah, like just, yeah, do a nice big belly breath. Um, you know, stick it out there. Yeah, relax. Yeah, I'm a deep breather. I, I like breathing deeply. Everyone thinks I'm sighing. <laughs> I won't be excited. I'm just breathing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel my whole lungs. Yeah. Uh, 
Oh no, that it's it's really fascinating how it's all connected, like you say, with the jaws as well, um, and yeah, really. No, the yeah. sucking in the stomach thing is something I see so much, because no one wants to, no one wants to relax their stomach. You know, everyone is always holding a little bit of tension here, and actually, your 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 deep abdominal muscles work with your pelvic floor. So if you're holding tension in your lower abdomen, sucking in your belly, you're also holding tension in your pelvic floor. Mm. Yeah. So we just to embrace it and relax our tummies. I know, I find myself doing that and I'm like, and like you say, it takes a long time to retrain yourself. And and because my mum, she's a Feldenkrais practitioner anyway, it's a lot about relaxing and she's like, just let it go. And like, I don't even realise, like sometimes I'm just holding on there. It's just, I don't know, it, when, it, when you've sort of ingrained it into yourself, it's really hard to, to just let it out, let, you know, let it all hang out there. Yeah, and I think we've been doing it for a lifetime. Like by the time I try and retrain people's breathing, it's just, it's completely become the normal for their entire life. It's it's so um, hard. So I mean, a lot of the time when I first see patients, a lot of the first even first session, maybe two sessions, is on breathing and getting that you know that connection between mm -hmm. your breath, your pelvic floor, and learning to relax, and learning just reconnecting with those muscles and understanding them, yeah. and being able to access them because if you can't access them and engage them when you need to then you can't then progress into sort of further further exercise and I think that's often a step that's missed mm -hmm. is people agree to whatever exercise it is they want to do but actually they're not engaged you know they're not breathing properly they're not mm -hmm. engaging properly when they're doing the exercise yeah. so it's often what I start with and for the, I, for the majority of people they need time to yeah. actually you know connect with it do it and retrain it yeah, no, that, that can take a long time for sure. And so with prolapse, I know there are different types. Could you talk us through those? Yeah, yeah so there's three main types of prolapse. You can have cystocele, which is a prolapse of your bladder. Um, you can have rectocele, which is a prolapse of your rectum, or a uterine prolapse, which is a, a moving down of your uterus. Um, so the bladder and the rectum, they both, if they descend, they push onto the vaginal wall, so either the front or the back of the vaginal wall. If you have a uterine prolapse, the uterus descends down into the, into the vagina. Um, so the prolapse is, you get different stages of prolapse. Um, and actually, after a woman has had a baby, I think the stats are something like 50% of women will have some kind of prolapse. Mm. Um, and depending on the grade of the prolapse and depending on you know what they're doing in life demands on them some people will have prolapse and they won't know mm -hmm. you know for some people it's they're completely asymptomatic um if you have a, a sister seal so a bladder prolapse often women find that they can have some incontinence they can have issues emptying their bladder because if your bladder isn't sitting where it was and it starts to come down a bit then part of the bladder can sort of with gravity not be able to empty mm -hmm. um so they usually have urinary issues with rectocele they often have the same with they don't feel like they can fully empty the bowels mm -hmm. um because if you you know if your rectum moves from where it should be you can then sort of get a pouch where again with gravity things can get a bit stuck mm -hmm. um and with uterine prolapse this is one that's usually people feel like something is falling out mm -hmm. Women come and say, you know, I feel like something is falling out of my vagina yeah. because the uterus is actually coming down, and th mm -hmm. that can also come with a lot of back pain mm -hmm. um, because your uterus is actually connected to your sacrum with ligaments. You have a uterus sacral ligament, mm -hmm. yeah. so if the uterus is pulling down, then that pulling on the sacrum can feel like a lot of sort of low back pain, mm -hmm. um, and they. Women with prolapse will classically say, my symptoms are worse at the end of the day. You know, if I'm standing for a long time, they'll be worse with activity just because of that. And they feel like a pressure and a heaviness. Mm. Um, that there, sometimes they say, you know, I can feel like a bulge. Yeah. I can feel like a bulge in the vagina. Sometimes if, if it's a, a quite a severe prolapse, they can see the bulge, mm -hmm. um, which is often, and I always say to people, actually nobody nobody looks down there you know we don't no one takes a look to see yeah. what's normal 
Mm-hmm. But and people are a little bit, you know, oh, I don't really want to do that. But mm-hmm. especially if they're suspecting anything like prolapse, they can actually just take a handler and have a look mm-hmm. and see what they can see um, when they're standing in the shower or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And actually in the shower is often what people will say, you know, I was in the shower, so I had a feeling and I can feel something that's not, you know, not I feel like not where it should be. Yeah. Um, and that's often for people, it's a really disturbing feeling. Mm-hmm. Because it's something often that people, you know, they don't know what's going on. They think if they if they do anything, something's going to fall out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really, really affects people that way, you know, when they start to feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the sort of gut reaction is that everything is up. You know, yeah. because they feel like if I'm relaxed, maybe everything will fall out. Yeah. So it's, it's a really scary time for people. Um, but it's something that often can be managed and mm. I mean there's a lot of different options for managing managing prolapse yeah. um, if you find the right person to help you yeah um, because I mean I had a lady come the other day and she was she was diagnosed with prolapse uh, a bladder prolapse at her six week she'd been in to see the doctor before six weeks because she said I can feel something and mm. it's not right and they just said, no, no, don't worry, just, 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 we'll check it at your six-week check. Yes. So she came in, they checked, she had a prolapse, and the doctor said to her, is this all you're worried about? Don't what? worry, you'll be fine. That was it. Oh, jeez. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's, 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 that's awful. Um, and there was no, you know, okay, this is what you've, this is what you've got. He didn't, you know, and I think for me, I always spend time explaining to people exactly what it is, mm-hmm. you know, showing them the diagrams and, and models, this is what it is, this is what's going on. And when people understand it, it empowers people because you mm-hmm. have to understand what's going on in your own body. If you don't know, it's this scary thing that, you know, you have no control over. So I think education around prolapse is something that we really need to improve to be honest yeah no agreed and yeah because it is scary things like your your you know your bladder is coming into your you know it's descending i mean that's really scary and i mean how do you normally 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 diagnose it or are the different ways you can diagnose perhaps so usually i mean but even just by sort of by listening to someone and their symptoms you kind of have a have an idea of what what it might be, and then you have to do an internal examination. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the internal examination, what you will do is get someone to um, bear down, so really sort of push down, mm. and then you can see, so you can see okay. if yeah. the field what is moving, how far it's moving, and there's different grades that you, you know, by how much it's moving, you look mm-hmm. at it at rest, you look at it when they're pushing down, and you'll always look at it in sort of laying down but then also in standing because for a lot of people you and i've had patients who've come and say you know they assess me for prolapse just laying down and there was nothing Mm -hmm. but they don't have symptoms when they're laying down so you have to also assess it in standing and see what it's like then when they're standing um and figure out because for your pelvic organs you also have ligamentous support so you have ligaments supporting and your pelvic floor so then figuring out okay is it a ligament issue that the mm. ligaments lacks or is it a muscular issue or is it a bit of both mm. because i mean with strength training of course we can change the muscles yeah. if it's a ligament issue that then may be something that needs surgical intervention okay yeah yeah no i think like you say just knowing a bit more about it it's so empowering because if you just I don't know, prolapse is kind of like, you know, there's no return if you have that kind of thing. Um, And even worse, like from doctors being like, yeah, you know, you'll be okay. And that's just, you know, I think that's criminal. (laughs) And I have so many women who offered, just offered surgery. Like that's the first, the first line of, okay, you've got this, you can have a surgery for this. And it shouldn't be with any and i think this with any operation you know if you there should always be some kind of conservative management you can try first Mm. um and even regardless if okay you may need surgery in the long run the same as you were going to go for i don't know a knee replacement or something the stronger you can get those muscles prior to your operation the easier your recovery is Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. there's always a place for training those muscles and actually improving that 
that muscular strength, that muscular support before you consider any kind of surgery. Yeah. But I think from even from surgeons' point of view, I don't know if their awareness around pelvic floor physio, because I mean, it's not something that's been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, is if yeah. Yeah. It's something we have to, as pelvic floor physios, have to work on with the surgeons and say, you know, this is what we can offer, and mm -hmm. these are the things that we can do pre if they then need to or at least mm -hmm. try um because a lot of people can live their entire life with prolapse and learn how to manage the symptoms and mm -hmm. still live a pretty normal life i suppose that's one of the things that surgeons tend to be older older individuals who aren't necessarily you know expanding their education often you know read what's in a magazine so without, they might not even know there is such a thing as pelvic floor physio in the world, you know. Yeah. You think of some of the, you know, the guys, you know, I've met, you know, when my ex-wife was pregnant with OBGYs, you know, Dr. Patel, lovely guy, but he's not a young man. And Dr. Cavallo, she, you know, she's not a young woman, you know, and I'm sure, you know, there's a lot more changing in the world, and I think there's a certain level of education or re-education needed maybe for a lot of doctors. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think as pelvic floor physios, I mean, here in Kenya, we're, at the moment, we're, I think there's 30 of us, mm. and they're just training a second group, so we'll be make nearly 50, and collectively, we are now having meetings to try and, you know, figure out the best way to go and, you know, at least approach all of the doctors and educate them on what we do and what we can offer. This is a treatment strategy that, you know, you can also explore yeah. that isn't isn't surgery and trying to get that awareness also out there to women who are going through this, that actually there's, there's things you can try and the options aren't never lift anything or have an operation. Like yeah. there's something in between. That'll be, that'll be one of the hardest jobs you'll do, convincing older you know, doctors have like a. I think it's like a godlike complex. So you have. Oh, the you have male a, Yeah, you have a lot of work there. <laughs> That's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that it's also. Itself, yeah. I mean, I guess it's yeah. It's doctors. It's the women themselves, and then mm -hmm. also yeah. trainers. Yes. I mean, because, you know, you and. and well, I think I about know. other sort of muscle things. I think about like you know. If you went to an orthopedic consultant, the first thing they'll do is say, oh, have you seen a physio? Have you done this? Have you worked on actually strengthening the muscle? Yeah, we don't tend to jump straight into an operation until no. they have to. Yeah, you'll often do, go to a physio, yeah, at least get massage, get everything else. So, you know, it, it does make sense that, you know, that should be the advice for this, because it's the same as, no. you know, muscular, ligamental, you know, issues. So... and try and 
I think raising awareness is the, really the biggest thing because if women know about pelvic floor physio, they can advocate for themselves when they go and see their doctor or, you know, whoever it is and say, can I, is this an option? Can I try this first before, you know, maybe if surgery, because I mean, there are some cases of prolapse that can only be fixed with surgery. Yeah. Um, but the same as any kind of issue, but there's a lot that can be managed with conservative management. Um, mm -hmm. And pelvic floor physio is really is the key to that. And then also yeah, strengthening and exercising. Yeah. And I think that's something that actually is more recently, you know, there's more kind of narrative behind if you have prolapse, actually strengthening and exercising is important. It's mm -hmm. not something to be avoided. Yes, you can lift weights. Yes, you can run. Yes, you can do what you want to do. You just have to put the right strategies in place. And like we talked about, breathing mm -hmm. is the key, the first, first step. Because if you, in your, you know, in your core system, if you don't have good pressure management and you have a prolapse, then if that pressure is pushing down, it's going to worsen your prolapse. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that is often the key to getting people back to exercise. Like I said, breathing is often the first, the, the absolute first stage. Because if you can manage those pressures, then and slowly build that up then you can you know you can often manage those symptoms um and putting things into your day-to-day -day life like often people find okay at the end of the day you know it feels pain it's heavy and just laying in positions like using gravity to your advantage so any position where your hips are up like a supported bridge position mm -hmm. or with your feet up on the chair feet up on the wall just because gravity helps to take that load off the pelvic floor and just simple things like that can be life-changing for people because actually they get some relief from what they're feeling yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and offload that pelvic floor for a little bit that you know through the day or at the end of the day yeah i think yeah breathing is so key because i mean like women who who lift weights i mean that's how we're taught to breathe like you hold your breath throughout that full you know that full rep of lifting a heavy weight and that's like that's massive pressure on your pelvic floor um yeah and you know, like when we, we teach women during pregnancy and like postpartum, we're like, you change your breathing so that you're not doing that and putting pressure on the pelvic floor. So, I mean, would that be, you know, would that, you know, someone who has a prolapse, is that kind of how they would breathe now in their training? Like definitely not, no breath holding. Yeah, because breath holding, when you're, when you're breath holding for that, you know, to find that extra strength, which is exactly what you're breath holding for, for that stability, mm. then you if you're not able to uh, sort of manage that with the engagement of your pelvic floor then that pressure will you know will go down and it's that's breathing and pushing down and often if people don't it's another thing about awareness if you're not aware of your pelvic floor then people can't tell that they're pushing down yeah. so a lot of the first kind of step of breathing is that exhale and engage so when you're doing you know the lift or when you're rising from your squat that you are exhaling, engaging your core, and engaging your pelvic floor to make sure that you're not putting undue pressure yeah. down, down for your prolapse. The same with someone with, say, someone with diastasis, that mm. would almost be kind of you know the weak link in their core system. So again, they would exhale and engage because it, it yeah, they makes sure that each part of your pressure system is actually managing the pressure and it's equally managed rather than going in one direction. Yeah. And that's that's again that takes a lot of uh detraining because that's how you know that's just how you're taught to breathe in weight training and like i know with the, the ladies that i train like during pregnancy and just afterwards they're like gosh it really you have to really practice that you know on the exhale you know trying to connect with your pelvic floor there and then like i mean i try it and it's like yeah it's you really you really have to think about it um yeah and because it's just such it's just such naked second nature again to just your whole body to be tight and for you to be breathing in and holding that. And I mean, it's, yeah, if you are aware of your pelvic floor, you're like, wow, this is, this is a lot of pressure. This is a thing. It's, it goes in with like almost the opposite of what you're taught when you're lifting. Brace your core, you know, increase the internal pressure to strengthen your spine. But, you know, we're not training people to be championship weightlifters or, you know, deadlifters. It's about, you know, having a good standard of life, you know not having to worry about everything else. So, you know, you have to just change your form a little bit to allow that, you know, in relation to the breathing and everything else. Maybe, you know, I 
can maybe tell people to lower the weights. Yeah. yeah, and it's often learning that breathing strategy. It takes, you know, learning it just in, you know, laying down and then in a sitting position, in a standing, then you can add a bit of movement. And it takes, it's a really progressive thing because if you're then trying to, you know, deadlift your highest weight, you're not thinking about it and you can't, you can't yeah. focus on it and you can't actually get that, get that connection. So it often takes, and this is the thing that it requires patience because mm-hmm. it's not, you, know, you can't change your breathing style overnight. And if you then try and, I mean, I had a lady come the other day and she was, she had a baby three years ago and she said, every time I go to the gym, I've been working with different trainers at the gym. Every time I try and do like core exercises, you know, crunches, I get this excruciating back pain. Mm. And I can't do it. And when I looked at her breathing, she was a sucking in breathing. She didn't know how to activate her core at all. Mm. So, well, I, you know, we have to go right back to basics. And they said, to her, we're going to go through this. Once you've learned to do it, you know, in this position, then we can start to add a little bit of movement. And you have to get that coordination so it becomes second nature before you can then start loading it. Because your brain can't cope with so many things at once when you're actively having to think about it. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think it's also many people during training, it's a mistake most people do because... When you're training, yeah, I think from magazines and just seeing guys training, we all assume training you have to be rigid and, you know, holding your breath and cut, but it's actually the opposite. You should be able to breathe, sort of like breathe into the muscle and just flow with the weight somehow, like, but not yeah. people do the opposite. And even, even not just uh, people with pelvic floor issues, but training in general, when you see people training in gyms, there's there's a rigidness where everyone's just yeah. Especially true when the weights are heavy, like as in you're actually lifting more than probably you should be. Yeah. You you end up pressing a lot down, and yeah, you know I've been I've seen dead yeah deadlifting competitions where people soil themselves. Yeah. Because it puts so much pressure, you know, pressing so much pressure down. Yeah, you can't can't stop from defecating. Yeah, and it's and it's crazy because from more and more research, the more you're able to sort of relax, the more you'll be able to lift. You know, like it's. A, so I tell you what, I saw a post log from a female deadlift, and she goes, "You know, it's a good session when there's we all over the deadlift platform," <laughs> which is probably oh the opposite of what you want. What you want. <laughs> yeah, like wow. I think I've se- I've seen her page. Yeah, she maybe maybe reach. She I think she has a problem, but it's. Uh, I, I don't know so. if she knows, but she's a she's a champion. She's a champion lifter and bodybuilder. I think yeah. But maybe if you just get to such heavy weights that that's because her page every well, that's, that's the inevitable. Your job is being a you know a power lifter. Then you make that decision. But but realistic, but spreading that message for a lot of women. I know. You know, they're like, that's probably not what you want. That's probably not what, and to be fair, I mean, she's probably got problems as well. But, yeah, yeah. You know, she doesn't necessarily want to address, you know, she thinks that's become a norm for her. Yeah, because I think she even managed. has her own platform in the gym and it's crazy because all her videos, yeah, all her videos, she's, all her videos, she's doing a deadlift and she's, she's peeing and I'm like, when you got the comments, you know, they speak about the problem, but I'm like, but why? It's become like such a rite of passage. Like, yeah, oh, wow. I had a wee, that's, man. That's, that's, <laughs> so that's yeah, um, that's not good. I mean, she should use her platform to spread awareness, not being like promoting. Well, yeah, but I imagine she was told that was normal. Maybe, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. There's that misinformation. This is the opposite of yeah. spreading good information. If misinformation gets is allowed to have a platform, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you just okay. So we just had a um, slight interlude there of the usual internet problems. <laughs> um, so yeah, Andy, as you were saying, just the yeah problem of misinformation. Yeah, it's a thing. If you've got a platform, yeah, if you spread the wrong thing, you know, people think that becomes the norm. That becomes the norm. It's like, yeah, like every sort of. Jim bro tale that people think is genuine, like no days off, you know, mm. don't rest, you know, you know, four to, you know, four sets of 
you know, eight reps that get you the biggest guy in the gym. You know, this, this stuff. And it's just because, you know, I think there is this responsibility for people to realise that, you know, especially someone who's a pilot, just to realise that, you know, you should be teaching things that, you know, that isn't necessarily the norm. It shouldn't be the norm. And, you know, these women who are following her to be, you know, one of the deadliest things, I was right if I, you know, wet myself on deadlifting, that's kind of expected. It's a bit like, you know, when people get, their noses start bleeding during deadlifting. Oh, yeah. That's not normal either. Yeah, you have like blood vessels in your nose, or I've seen guys with bleeding eyes. That's not normal, people. Yeah, that's not something that should be encouraging. Probably means your blood pressure's too high, yeah. you know, yeah. and you know you're straining too much when you're lifting. So you're going to do yourself a mischief, so calm down the touch. Um, yeah, and then we started, yeah, when you were off, we were talking about, you know, retraining habits, because the problem is, when you've done something for so long, you, that muscle connection, so like racing your core, mm. like, you know, I know every time I squat, I try to squat the same way, or if I do a deadlift, I try to do it the same way, you know, I don't do lots of deadlifting because I feel the benefits as much as a RDL, but, you know, we're talking about this because, you know, because um, people have, you know, these sort of connections where, um, you know, I was talking about Kat, my girlfriend, she's got a gastric hernia. Yeah. So we're having to retrain her from bracing her core in the gym and find an exercise. But she struggles with some exercises because it's so ingrained on how she lifts that she, even if she's chest supported, she wants to brace her core. And there's no actual need to brace her core as much because she's not, just, you know, it's final loading. And so it's, it's about, you know, looking for a way round because, you know, as you said, you, know, you can't just say to someone, oh, and this is what doctors love doing, just don't do that. Yeah. Stop doing that, find something else to do. You know, instead, actually, instead of saying it's about finding the light at the end of the tunnel, oh, that's terrible, because, you know, otherwise it's just me taking over the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, but I think bracing the core is often is often something people have difficulty with, women especially, because we like we talked about earlier, this like sucking in the stomach and really mm. overusing the obliques is something we see a lot, like upper ab grippers when they can't access, you know, their transverse abdominals, you know, your your real stability muscles. They then start really gripping with their upper abs and actually that is then putting pressure down, especially mm. women who have prolapse actually retraining even within abdominal muscles and trying to often scale it back because I think when people think about okay bracing the core they often do that and you know they're not breathing and they feel like it has to be this big strong contraction the same with pelvic floor often people are contracting their glutes their adductors because they don't know what these you know they're gentle they're really subtle contractions because they're just they have stability you know you're not you're not lifting with them, it's just stabilizing you and actually yeah. scaling it back and realizing that those small muscle, you know, that small engagement, that light level is what it needs to be, um, which a lot of people struggle with. Um, so that's often, for me, that's a big, a big thing. And like we were just talking about, in physio, I think often people, by the time they, they come to physio, they're, they're, they're just, they're dejected, you know, they said, mm. I can't do this, I can't lift. It's like saying to a new mom, you can't lift anything. Well, she has a child, she has a toddler, she has... And as a physio, I think understanding someone as a whole, you know, understanding their condition, understanding what their home life looks like, understanding what work looks like, understanding what they enjoy doing, what exercise they enjoy doing, piecing that all together and figuring out, okay, how can we get you doing this safely? Because, you know, you can't say to a new mom, don't lift anything. She's going to lift her child, it's going to happen. You have to be realistic yeah. about the advice you're giving people and then focusing your attention on, okay, if this is the amount you need to lift, how do we get you doing that safely? Um, and I think giving them, even if they can't do everything they want to do immediately, at least saying, okay, we're at this point in our journey and there is light at the end of the tunnel. You know, you can get to that. And that for a lot of people is something that they don't hear. Mm-hmm. Like, they're often, they're kind of, what do I do? I can't do anything. I can't lift this. Otherwise, I remember one woman saying to me, if I go for a walk, will my bladder fall out of my vagina? Oh, wow. And I, yeah. <laughs> I said, first of all, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. But just that level of yeah. fear yeah. 
yeah. that is put into people is so debilitating that people don't want to yeah. don't want to do it. And I mean, a, another good another good thing to know about about prolapse is there's also you could also get something called pessary, mm-hmm. um, which is like an, something you insert. It's like an internal support, mm-hmm. um, which provide the support whilst you then are doing pelvic floor physio or yeah. you know or while you're exercising yeah. and that's something that for a lot of people can be life-changing yeah. um because mm-hmm. it provides that support it's not a fix but it can at least you know uh, like a like a brace or something you know it can yeah. just provide that support in the temporary meantime um and there's a few there are a few doctors who do it here mm-hmm. um so that's also another conservative management you know part that can give people hope yeah. and i think giving people hope is really the, the most the most important thing because if someone then can think positively about the future and you know approach their training and you know see that they're getting stronger it's just it's the most wonderful thing when actually you can say to someone this is not the end of the road and yeah. here's what we can do yeah I, I think that's so true and you know like you say just taking that holistic approach because a lot of it is mental as well and you know like the women just because they don't know enough about it there's just that debilitating fear whereas you know sometimes if you do nothing that's worse you know you can be you know doing these things to help strengthen it and yeah i think definitely it is it is about that awareness and yeah, I don't. I, I mean, there's very few sort of pages on Instagram that talk about prolapse and incontinence and things like that. Like it would be your sort of dedicated female health pages. But I think it is something that men and women should be talking about. Because I mean, even with like, I wouldn't say the majority of my female clients, but a lot of them do struggle with you know incontinence, um, and you know, they can be very uncomfortable talking about it, but it's, you know, I think, you know, if you're talking about it, then they're like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, I could bring yeah. this up in the conversation, and then it's, you know, great that there's, you know, pelvic floor physios like you that we can refer to, and, and like you say, just so that there is that hope that, you know, you can run, you can skip, it might take some time, you know, if you're patient, but, you know, we can get there. Yeah, and I think, I mean, like we talked about with, you know, Kegels being the answer to everything, I've had a lot of patients who said, you know, I did the Kegels like the doctor told me to do and I'm no better. But actually, when you kind of zoom out and look at the whole system of the body and start doing, you know, single leg stability work, glute strengthening, whatever it is that they need to do, you actually have to piece together the puzzle, then they progress. Then they can, you know, just by isolating this one muscle, which may or may not be the problem because we've just heard the word incontinence and given with Kegels, but actually the whole system, like I was saying, I had a lady who... She was had incontinence with running. She had done for maybe like five years, and she said, "I just wear a pad when I'm running. Yeah. I won't stop doing it." And she said, "I tried doing these kegels. Nothing is working." And actually, we did. We focused more on hip stability, single leg strength, you know, and alongside her pelvic floor strengthening. Yeah. And now she can run completely fine. And she was actually zooming out and figuring out, okay, around the pelvis, what's going on? Yeah. Could be, also, you know. You have to treat the whole system, not just yeah. that specific part. Yeah. Yeah. Something else we, we touched on mm-hmm. whilst you guys were off was about you know the rush for you know once women give birth, then doctors just tell them, ah, oh, four to six weeks you got crack on with your life. Where actually, it's probably a lot of benefit for you know people, who, you know women who've just given birth to actually go see a, a pel, you know, pelvic floor physio. In those early days, start working on things, yeah, you know, properly in their own time. Mm. So you know, we can build a strong foundation going forward. Because you know, one, yeah, you know, pregnancy and birth is mentally taxing on a woman's body, and just to be told to get on with your life after, where you, you know, also now got you know a newborn baby to look after, you know, is you know is kind of then you know we're saying about. You see all these women on Instagram say, uh, you know, three weeks postpartum, look at my abs. You know, it's like, you know, there's a rush for, you know, people hitting the gym, but actually you should probably be building that sort of foundation through, you know, going to see a physio and just do the basic pelvic exercises and other exercises straight from that area before starting to do everything else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't have that information, 
that, and I see a lot of women actually prenatally to then prepare them for that postnatal, you know, the early postnatal period because there's so much they can do in that time. And actually if they have that information, then of course they can work on it as and when they're ready. But if they don't have any of that information, they do their six-week check and the doctor says, okay, fine, you can go. All of these things we've talked about, the basics of breathing and, you know, pressure management aren't there. And then they go and they do whatever it is they want to do. And they might be fine in the beginning. Your body will find a way to compensate. Mm-hmm. But will, you know, they will happen in the end if you're not doing things properly. Um, and getting the basics right first is the most important thing. And if you don't have that information, then, you know, yeah. I don't know what to do. Yeah, that's, I think, you know... Like you said, that should be something you're working on whilst you're pregnant is, you know, thinking about what you can do in those early weeks. Because, like, you, there, is, there are things that you can do, like, before you get your six-week checkup. Um, but, yeah, yeah, most women are just like, yeah, you know, just don't, you don't really do anything then. And then just wait for that six-week checkup and then, you know, back to business. But it's like, no, you can be, that would be such a great time to be working with you, you know, to, to do just, you know, small things that you can do at home. You know, it's not like you're going to the gym or anything, but it's just like you're breathing and like reconnecting with your pelvic floor and, um, you know, preparing for all of that and just, yeah, educating yourself. Uh, and they're often, I mean, in that early, in that early time, uh, no one has any time. You know, people aren't sleeping. They're taking care of this tiny thing. So those small things that you can put in during the day, you know, a bit of breathing, that, all that reconnection, you can fit into your time. You know, you can find five minutes in the day, that's fine. And they're all things you can do. Um, but yeah, the narrative of do nothing for six weeks and then do everything afterwards, <laughs> it's just it's something that has to has to change. And if, yeah, I mean, uh, to, to seeing a physio in that time is the perfect time to do it. So you can start working on it. And then, you know, seeing a trainer who also knows what they're doing is then, you know, the most important thing because I see women who said, I've tried this trainer and this trainer and this one. And they were just, you know, they weren't trained postnatal. I said to a lady the other day, you might be three years postnatal, but you're still so, postnatal. Yeah. No, there's no time limit by which that expires. And now, you know, you don't need to focus on it. Yeah, yeah no, that's, it's, it's so true. And I mean, some women might be, you know, they might be fine before the six week mark. And you'll be like, no, you, you know, you could actually, you know, do this or that. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, that definitely is an entire podcast in itself, I think, <laughs> for sure. Um, but I think, yeah, no, this has been really interesting about incontinence and prolapse, just because, yeah, I mean, I've come across it with some of the clients that I work with. And it's, you know, for me, having you as a resource is just great. I can be like, look, go and go and see Sarah and you know, just bridging the gap there. Like I always tell my clients, like have as many people on your team as you can, you know, who talk to each other and come up like with the best plan for you because Mm -hmm. it's not something you need to suffer with. And yeah, I mean, I think it's important for like men and women, trainers, everyone to just, yeah, be talking about these things so that it's like, oh, I think, yeah, I might have something like that, but I know who to go to to talk about it. Um, And also just hearing your success stories. Like I love that. You know, it's just like, you know, you know, this lady, she, you know, was wearing a pad when she was running and now she can run again. You know, I think for, for women who've sort of suffered in silence for years, like hearing those kinds of stories would be life changing. Yeah. And I think the more and this is, the more that we talk about it, the more awareness there is, you know, for anybody, if you're a trainer or whoever and someone starts to say something, you think, OK, fine, you know, mm. maybe you suspect something might not. And if you know the person to then refer to rather than just, you know, oh, you can't do this exercise. Okay, we'll scrap that one and we'll find yeah. something else. Yeah. Actually recognizing, okay, this is something we can do something about, knowing the warning signs of it, and then, yeah, referring them in the right direction. And like you said, having as many people on your team as possible, because pelvic floor issues, like I said many times, are not just, you know, mm-hmm. it's not an isolated thing. And actually having your whole, your whole holistic health is so important. And each, you know, your mental health, mm-hmm. your physical health, nutrition, everything plays a part in how you are. So I think having the right people on your team who understand and work well together is really the key yeah. to what we need. It is. And I think, yeah, sadly, too many professionals just either feel threatened or or, 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 or that they can do it themselves. And, you know, like you say, oh, we'll just not do that exercise then. Or you just, you know, shouldn't do that. And it's like, no, you know, there's... 
of course you can work around things but there's yeah if you've got the right people on your team you know you can get to where you want to go gents any any final thoughts your no. pelvic floor is good it's all in your mind andy it's in your mind <laughs> but no no, it is a thing where there is just needs to be more education, I think. You know, the education needs to expand to, you know, to reach women, to make sure we know these things are available. Make sure, you know, that we understand that these aren't, these things aren't normal. It's not just part and parcel of being a woman, mm-hmm. you know, but actually, you know, because, you know, I think I mentioned this first time we recorded I remember growing up, my mum saying, oh, every time she laughed too much, she'd wet herself after having four kids. You know, it's like, well, that's not a normal thing. You know, you should, it's not, you know, that, that was normal to her. And it'd be normal to her and her friends to talk about it. It'd be normal, normality. So it's about educating women to understand that actually there is another way. You know, that isn't just it. Yeah. 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 Well, Sarah, thank you so much. As always, so interesting chatting with you. And yeah, I'm seeing another pre and postnatal episode. <laughs> it's, I think that's, yeah, but this, this one has been really interesting. So thank you so much for that. And we'll, yeah, in the episode, we'll always put your, your contacts there so that people know who they can go to, which I think is really, really important. Um, and I know you work both sides of town, don't you? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm in Parklands and in Karen. Yeah. So I know some people, so like my client who was in the UK, like I, I actually did give her your contacts in case because I was like, well, you might know other, you know, pelvic floor physios in the UK yeah. or abroad. So um, I think, you know, yeah, for anyone who is abroad, you know, you can still contact Sari because I'm sure you have your own network as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's, I've got a few. Actually, I've got a few friends in the UK who are pelvic floor physios, um, and yeah, you can always find people. And you can also, I mean, there's also often a lot you can do, even virtually, even just yeah. through, you know, discussing with someone. And a virtual consult is also something that we can do. Okay. Um, and yeah, you you can often make a lot of progress, even just educating yeah. people. Because I mean, a lot of the initial bit is just that education and that connection. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to do that. Okay, well, that's great to know. Um, we'll, we'll definitely put that in the, in the show notes as well. But yes, I hope you have a lovely rest of your Saturday. Get some relaxation in there as well. And we'll all go and relax our pelvic floors now. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So welcome. Bye. Bye.